Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. And you can feel free to send a comment there on our contact form. Or you can email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, we are continuing our series on the book of Romans, Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. And we have now reached the very challenging and misunderstood chapter seven of Romans. If you've studied this book, you know exactly what I mean. If you have not studied it in the past, I would encourage you to read it. Among other things, Paul is very human in this book, this chapter of this book, he and chapter seven. He is looking at the truth of being Jewish. He is talking about the law and its role in our lives today and what it is and is not. And then he, he talks about his own struggles. He's, he is very human, very much showing his heart, his heartfelt love for this church in Rome. It's almost like this section is a parenthetical at this point of the letter. Theologians are probably cringing to hear me say that, but I believe that that is in in fact the case. He describes lots of relationships. He, he, He particularly describes the battle, the struggle that we all have. And he's going to say that the law is not evil. It's good. And without the law, we wouldn't know what good, what's good and acceptable. We wouldn't know a lot about God and who God is and how, how righteous he is. We wouldn't know necessarily all the things that are wicked and forbidden. We'd know some because of our conscience. But the law has value. But believers struggle, Paul is going to say in this chapter, he says in this chapter, with the power of, of sin in our lives. So he, he, he really says that with the mind, we serve the law of God, but with the flesh, we serve the law of sin. There are some frustrating things about living the Christian life and there's tension in the Christian life. And I think, I think we should say that out loud. <laughs> I think we should embrace it. And one of the, the elements of tension is this, as we get older and mature, we become more aware of our sin. Our, and we can, if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we can, we can become, we can feel more guilty and more sinful as we get older. But if we look honestly with, with this retrospective at our, of our lives, we, we understand that we, we are not, sinning more, we are just more aware of our sin. And we become increasingly, as Paul has already said in this letter, ashamed of the sin that we once embraced. 
And that, that is, as I've said many times in many episodes, uh, that is a, an indication of our redemption of our being redeemed is, is that, that shame that we have those sins we once celebrated we're now ashamed of and doesn't mean we don't sin. We do. We're going to read about that today. So this isn't going to be a lengthy episode. I hope it's meaningful to you. This is an important chapter in this book. Uh, we're going to have a couple of chapters like this as we go down the home stretch, but we have some also some some very powerful, important sections that I think will be meaningful to us. So I'm going to jump right in and start reading, and I'll stop to make some comments as we go along. I want to thank you for supporting Relentless Truth by listening, by sharing. You'd be amazed at how important it is to people when you send an email or a text with an episode linked I heard just today from someone who I haven't seen in years and he, uh, he, he has, we've kept in touch and he, he sent a message to me telling me how much he enjoys this podcast. So I am grateful for uh, all of you and hope this is a blessing. I feel free to send along comments or an email if appropriate. So here we go. Chapter seven of Romans verse one. He's he's just said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he he starts with, in verse 1 of chapter 7, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law of marriage. So Paul's making it clear here. He's using marriage as an analogy, but he's also commenting on marriage to say that that after a, a husband dies, a woman is not bound. She's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also, this is important, verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, through his death. Those are my words, through his death. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now there's a lot to say here. Um, Paul is first talking about marriage, and he's letting people know that you are you are released. He's, uh, the church at Rome know that you are released when a spouse dies. You're released from the vow of that you've taken in marriage, the law of marriage. Paul calls it, and then he pivots in verse four and says, similarly or likewise, my brothers, 
you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God, live productive lives for God. That's our focus now. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So he's back on the implications of sin, the implications of the fall, and he's saying, pre-salvation, while you were living in your flesh, you, the, your sinful passions were aroused by the law. That's not that, and he's going to go on to clarify this, but not that the law is evil or sinful, but, but I think the principle he's getting across, and I, I know it's a deeper one than this, but I think it's a, it's a matter of when, when, given, when given laws, when given restrictions, when, when that's all we're given, we become tempted just because of our rule-breaking nature our tendency to want to be self-sufficient, to do our own thing. And I think when I hear this, and, and then Paul goes on to say, but we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I always think of of this, the mantra of, I guess it was the 70s. There was kind of a, if it feels good, do it. I go back sometimes because I, I think of the music of my childhood, which is primarily 70s, fondly and and yet i go back and i listen to the philosophy and some of those songs i mean some that i really like and i I mean some are just raunchy period and i kind of missed that when i was younger and then others just have terrible philosophy terribly worldly if it feels good do it uh focus on you um you should please yourself satisfy yourself pursue your own ambitions uh, focus on you. You're the center of the universe, and all that, all the advertising and and just everything that went on culturally back then, and and has continued. It's continued obviously to the present, and we've we've embraced some new philosophy that is even more damning in recent years. But the philosophy back then, and and I always think about this when I'm talking to students. I always reference the good old days, and I say, you know, they really weren't so good we we call them that but no matter the period you can go back in 50 year chunks through all of u.s history kind of a good way to look at it i guess and we had problems we had challenges we had philosophical issues and and i think this one that paul is talking about this notion of our being liberated is really important it is Knowing that that we are not bound by the law, but the new way of the Spirit, you know, we've been given the Holy Spirit, and that is an important doctrine for us to to understand. It changes the focus of our lives. So it is so tempting, and it believe me, in a Christian school in ministries, I, I get it. I I know crowd control is important. I know that parents, you want to set a good example for your children. You want, you want to have rules, but it is so important not to live life purely by a checklist. Because if you, if you tell a young man in particular, and and I, I, I know this because I am one or was a young one once now I'm an older one. But if you tell a young man in particular that here are a set of things you can't do, 
that young man is tempted to do those things. And if you tell him, well, your righteousness is established by how well you perform according to this list. And I know parents don't say that. And I know I'm exaggerating a little bit. And I, I know probably most of you don't struggle with this. But if you tend to be a disciplinarian and have strict standards and you don't talk about the Spirit of God, you don't talk about walking by faith, you don't explain the whole counsel of God, the rest of Scripture, then you can create an environment where a young person thinks, if I just do these things, I please my parents, I please God, I'm good to go. And But doing those things, Paul is saying here, is very difficult. He's going to go on to, to talk about that. So he says in verse 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. There's that expression again that he's used again and again. This this may it never be. This this it's kind of a I sort of hear my ugh can you believe that? no. And and then he says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So he's talking about the the value of the law in our lives. Then he says, but sin, in verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Listen to this. This This is deep stuff. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. I think that's what he said. I think he's saying that, that sin used the commandment. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. This is really confusing language that he's using here. Then he says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing, here he says it again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So it's not the law itself that is evil, Paul is saying. The commandment is holy and good. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But sin is the problem. Sin seized an opportunity through the commandment. Now, I get so bogged down with sin in the world, and not not maybe in the way that you'd think when I say that. I, I don't think of myself as better than other people. I am keenly aware of my own sin. I struggle with guilt and shame from sin in the past, my own sin. I struggle with my sin today, to be clear, but just the volume of sin in the world, the evil in the world, the, I notice it in business. I even, I see these things on social media that, you know, where corporate types are selling something and misrepresenting and stretching the truth. And I, I could go through the products and you'd, you'd relate. Ads that exaggerate, ads that do more than exaggerate. Companies that sell medicines and therapies and, Uh, organic solutions and diets and all the rest that sometimes don't even meet the need they claim to meet. 
sometimes try to create demand by making people question their health or their or their financial well-being or whether their identity is protected and all those things are good I and mean, be protecting your health and your identity and your financial well-being or, or consolidating your debt sometimes is a good thing but you know you have these debt consolidation companies that promise the world and don't deliver but that volume of evil though and it's not just in commercials it's not just in marketing and and representation it's it, it's just in day-to-day life i used to say to friends in in banking we get lied to a lot it is shocking to me it was shocking to me still is how many people would come in they'd want a commercial loan millions of dollars usually and big project they bring in their financials and sit in the room and lie about their financial condition knowing they're going to leave an envelope full of papers that prove that they just lied. And yet they lie anyway. They color the truth a little. They stretch a little. And they'll say things like, oh, my liquidity is this or my net worth or, or the debt service coverage or cash flow or whatever it is. Knowing they're sitting there provably lying. Had a, a client, that several who did this kind of thing. One comes to mind where... I guess the CFO, chief financial officer, thought he was doing a good thing for the owner of the company. And he, this is back in the IBM Selectric days. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is that? Well, it was a really cool typewriter at the time that replaced the old manual typewriter. And it had a, a ball for all the different fonts. And, and that, that ball would rotate as you'd press the keys on the typewriter. And yes, it looked like the keyboard that we use for our computers today. And anyway, that's how we did tax returns back then. And, and they, they eventually, you know, there was this thing called whiteout, which if you've, if you've never seen it, I don't know how to explain it. There's this thing called whiteout that it was this liquid that all the paper was white. And so you kind of paint the numbers away and, or letters and then wait for it to dry and, and then type over it. There was correcting tapes and things. And eventually the typewriter caught up with all that, but I'll, I'll never forget this client that I'm thinking of, his CFO. He actually um, changed the numbers on the tax return. And he, he made two mistakes. And they were really stupid. These are smart people too. I think they were anyway. And they, they made two mistakes. One, they, they didn't match the font of the rest with the corrected numbers that were misrepresenting the amount of income. And obviously they did this to their favor. So they overstated their income by a lot. And then two... They didn't carry the math through the rest of the tax return. <laughs> they just changed a couple of key numbers and they didn't think about all the other schedules and all the additional pages of the return. And, you know, it took some time to figure that out, but not, not that much time. And I just, you add it all up. Not, not that, not that I think everybody's always lying or, or everybody's out to get you or, or, or uh, companies are taking advantage or marketing bad products and services, but there's just a ton of that. There's a ton of evil in the world. I'm recording this a couple of months because it's over the summer and I had some more time and I'm, I'm working ahead a little bit, but we just had the Uvalde massacre in that elementary school. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just run of the mill evil. It does seem we're having more shootings and more kind of mental health issues that, that manifest in, in this craziness that crazy amount of evil but 
I read a statistic on on uh, Chicago over Memorial Day. I think there were forty or fifty people shot and ten died. It might have even been more than that. But you just look at all the all the evil in the world, and you see the power. And I want to be careful with how I say this from a theological standpoint. But the the power of evil, the power of sin. It's gripping. Paul uses this word. I didn't count the number of times in Romans, but in Romans alone, he talks about the captivity of sin. It captures us. It becomes habit-forming, not not just compulsive, addictive behavior, not just habitual behavior, just the notion of sinning, become, and we become captive to it. And he, what he's screaming at us here is, why do you do that when you know it leads to death? You know this. And then he's saying, he's going to go on to say here, and yet he's going to say, I struggle too. I mean, in a way, this is a beautiful chapter because it talks about Paul's humanity. But let's go on. So we just read verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I love the way he says that holy being set apart, righteous being morally correct, and good just being good. Positive. And then verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? Here he goes again, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. So the law is involved here, but it is sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the command and, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So the commandment, the law, the purpose of the law was to show the evil of sin, to show sin to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. It exacerbates sin, the law does. Then in verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. This is the Apostle Paul talking. Verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. Now, I gain tremendous comfort from from that, that sentence and the ones that follow. He says in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Romans, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is powerful. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul is 
just simply saying that I don't do what I intend to do. I don't do what I want to do. I sin. And if I don't do what I want, I agree with the law that is, it is good. So, so we agree the law is good. It serves a good purpose. It's God's school teacher. It shows us his character and shows us the difference between good and evil. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, the Apostle Paul says. That is, in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in our flesh. The depravity of man, the complete depravity of man, is a truth that we must come to grips with. That doesn't mean that we become afraid to leave our homes. It doesn't mean that we we live in isolation. It doesn't mean that we can't live life, that we can't see the good in people. I know some people, and you probably do too, and all, all they do is see the good in people. Life is a bed of roses, and they see the good in everyone, give everyone the benefit of the doubt. They can get taken advantage of a thousand times, and in time number 1001, they will still happily see the good in people. On one level, I'm jealous of those people, and on, on the other hand, I think they're stupid. Because this doctrine, this, this sin, pervasive sin, the implications of the fall in the world, is clearly taught in Scripture again and again. And I guess the right way to say it is our pendulum should be in the middle. We should, we should be realistic about this. this. We don't want to be naive, but we also don't want to assume bad intentions on the part of everyone at every turn. But a, a healthy sense of sin and knowing what it is and knowing that it's evil is ours as we read this section, because this is the Apostle Paul. And, and he says, I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry out. Don't you feel like that all the time? You know, I intended to do this, but I got angry or frustrated or I forgot or I want to be sensitive to other people, but I become selfish when it, become, when it comes down to my own priorities, when it comes down to my schedule or, or getting disrupted for something. I, I, interrupted, my schedule getting disrupted. I, 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 sometimes I, I'm not as giving as I should be. Give me a day or so. And then I say, Oh, I should have been more tender or I should have spent time with that person. You know, death causes me death of friends, people I love causes me to pause and say every time, why didn't I do more? Why didn't I spend more time? Why didn't I, love them more? Why didn't I go to this function or that function? Why didn't I help them? Why didn't I visit them more? Why didn't I cultivate our friendship more? And I think really that's just what Paul is saying here, that I am frustrated by my own sin. And keep in mind, he's already established the fact that our the basis, the underlying basis for our sin is our self-sufficiency, our self-reliant tendency. And so this, this selfishness is what he's really talking about. This being self-sufficient, not God-sufficient. So then in verse 21, he goes on, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Wow, isn't that true? 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Now that that is just beautiful. Paul is throwing his hands up and he's, he's, woe is me. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What am I to do? Who will deliver me from this horror that I experience? I serve the law of God with my mind. I have good intentions, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And earlier, this is curious, he said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he's going to launch into the beauty of chapter 8, where he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's, he's going to rescue us. He's going to give us hope. He's giving us the truth that gives us hope. The truth is, Jesus Christ solves the problem that Paul, his finished work, solves the problem that Paul is referencing here. And we have to recognize that. He's going to talk about life, living life by faith, living in the Spirit in chapter 8, in the first part of chapter 8. But I think it's beautiful that Paul talks about his frustration, and he calls it, it's, it's way more than frustration. He says, another law waging war against the law of my mind. So my mind, I'm, I'm, Paul talks about the mind several times. If you remember back in chapter six, he talks about, he uses the expression, not knowing. We talked about that being the, the word for that we get for agnostic. Do you not know? He said in chapter three, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And he he's, talks a lot about knowing in, in Romans 12 too. He, he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul talks a lot in this letter about knowing, about knowing truth, about how important it is to know truth. And what he's telling us here is that even when we're equipped, when we know truth, that there is a war that is going on, another law waging war against the law of my mind. You know, I want to sugarcoat it. I want to, I want to talk about holding hands and skipping down the path and, and, and living your best life now and, and, and what a wonderful life it is. And, and it is, it is in Christ. It is as we walk in the spirit, but, but there's a war going on and we shouldn't be surprised that this war is going on. And the war is between our flesh and our spirit it's a war that it's a, a war with good and evil and there, there are some ministries that have talked a lot about that but it's not this this braveheart moment it's a it's a perpetual war 
that will that goes on on this earth has gone on for all generations and will for all remaining generations and it is a struggle you know the the book Les Miserables by Victor Hugo I think it is I think he's the writer and the musical based on that book are, are just beautiful and you know it's really it's really about the miserable <laughs> it's about the struggle and uh set in the time of the French Revolution and you know you you read it and and just you're just exhausted after you're just part of the way in and or if you go to the musical you know it's just it, it kind of drags on a little bit I, I think it's beautiful and enjoy it but and the music is incredible but you just think how much more can these people take and, and you see the battle of, of good and evil you experience the tension he does a great job of describing it and I, I I think that's really what Paul is doing here. He's just being human. And then in chapter eight, he pivots and he says, but, but all of this has been redeemed. And look at these beautiful promises. Here's what's really going on. So seven, chapter seven is, is Paul's humanity, I think. And he's very human and he understands the humanity of the people who read this letter in Rome. And, and God includes it in the, in the canon of scripture for a reason so that we can see what the humanity of a, not just kind of a super saint, but an apostle is like and what he really struggles with. We don't get a lot of this. We get some of this from Peter here and there, but we don't get a lot of the humanity of the the apostles. But this is, I think, a beautiful chapter. And and then Paul is going to talk about our great hope in Christ, our confident hope, our the confidence that we can that we have in him. And he's going to talk about the the benefits. I mean, these are my words, they don't come from a commentary, but here's how I think of chapter eight. It's the beautiful benefits of our relationship with Christ, being in him. And then he goes on from there and it's the rest of this letter is is just incredible. So I hope this has been helpful. This is a clumsy walk through a difficult chapter. We could spend a lot of time exploring a lot of the phrases phrases that Paul uses to describe the law and sin and this war. But I think we've hit the highlights. I, I hope you're encouraged by Paul's struggle by all of our struggle. I think one of the ways we build each other up is by talking about that. I don't think we should be afraid of it. I, I kind of grew up in a church environment where you, you just didn't talk about sin. And now that I look back, I know it got brushed under the rug, but that's, that's not how we deal with it. We confess our sins together. We discussing our humanity. A friend of mine named Richard Warner, who I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast he started this Monday group. Uh, I think I mentioned that group to you before, this Monday night group of guys. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I don't think Richard was really sure of what to expect in the beginning. But we just sat around and talked. And, and then we ended up praying together. And it wasn't a Bible study. We would we would eat and uh, and talk and get to know each other. And it was just a sweet time because some of the, some of the young guys in particular, a friend of mine, Chris O'Rourke, was one of them. I remember just opening his heart another couple of guys who were his contemporaries just opened up and said, you know, I struggle with this. My family struggled with this. I've, I've had a lifelong struggle with these things and it's just encouraging. It's, it's this mutual building each other up. We would, we would always 
talk about these things in the context of scripture, biblical truth. But these things, this struggle, the 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 lay miserable of life, it is is really, if I can say it that way, really points us to the cross, forces us to the cross, makes us cling to the cross, makes us cling to Jesus Christ and His finished work by faith alone, and that really is what Paul is driving at, and is going to really nail down in subsequent chapters here for how we are to live this this wretched man that I am, this war that he's talking about, that it goes on should drive us to Christ, to humble submission to divine providence. And what wonderful truth. So thank you for joining me again for relentless truth. Uh, Please like share review and subscribe to relentless truth. I really do appreciate it when you share it with your friends And I hear from them that this has been meaningful to them. It is encouraging. I don't hear from a lot of people. The numbers are good. I I do get the ability to go online and see uh, numbers of listeners and locations and all the rest. And I'm grateful for every one of you and appreciate your engagement and the fact that this has been uh, meaningful. We're past the one-year point. I hope you'll go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. Uh, Don't hesitate to uh, send along anything that I can uh, pray for with you. I'm happy to do that if I've caused any concern whatsoever or maybe created some questions. Maybe through this series, you're hearing things you haven't heard before. I would be happy to either refer you to a pastor or try to answer any. If the questions are simple, I'm able to answer them, hopefully. But uh, certainly don't want to leave unresolved issues. So thank you again. Please uh, feel free to send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com if you choose to do so. Otherwise, you can use our contact form on our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.